Has anyone ever said to you, have some patience, huh? Yeah, I think that was told to me on more than one occasion, and that's really what James is addressing. In James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, we are close to the end of our journey through James. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes. And your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the privilege to open it up today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into your truth and apply these words to our lives, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Are you a patient person? If those who know you best were asked that question, what would they say? Maybe the answers might be just a little bit different. Let me give you an example of a situation that might reveal if, in fact, you are patient. There was a distinguished old judge who was asked one day to speak at Ohio State University. The decision was made without realizing that this judge was growing senile. And so he went to the podium and with his head down started reading his notes in a very high, crackling voice. When he got to the bottom of page one, he turned the page and continued reading. And it soon became apparent that he was reading page one again. And if that wasn't enough, he read page one for a third time, 17 pages, read three times each. Now, would you have stayed? Or would you have said, I am out of here. I have no patience for this. Here's another example. It was Sunday evening. And Dr. Harry Ironside had preached five times that day. I used to do that on occasion when I was in Cloquet. It's a long day. And so on the way home, he was a little tired, and his wife asked him a question, and he got a little short with her, a little irritated. And so he said, Honey, I am, I am quite tired. Remember, I've had to preach five times today. And she responded and said, yes, dear, I know. But just remember, I've had to listen to you five times today. 
<laughs> it's hard enough to listen to yourself, right? But to have to do that. So are you a very patient person is the question. Well, the focus of this passage is clearly on being patient. The word patience is found four times in these verses. The word endurance or enduring is found two other times. So as I studied this passage, I didn't have to say, hmm, I wonder what the theme is of this text. You know, sometimes when you study a passage, it's just like, okay, it's going to take me a little while really to discover what is the thrust. Uh, This one's pretty easy, right? Patience, very clearly. James gives us three lessons then about patience. First of all, he says, be patient in waiting for the Lord's return. Our text begins with the word, therefore. And you know probably what I'm going to say. When you see the word, therefore, you look what it's Therefore, right? So it takes us back to what James has said in the first six verses of this chapter, where James has been rebuking unbelieving wealthy people for abusing the righteous poor people. They didn't pay them their wages for their work. They were using the court system to steal the little they had. In some cases, they even resorted to murder, and it seemed like For the righteous, there was really nothing they could do. Verse 6, James says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So if you're among those who is being persecuted by the wealthy, what do you do? Well, James has something to say to them, he says, then in verse 7, Therefore, you who are on the receiving end of this, be patient. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. These troubled believers needed the encouragement to be patient. Because I am sure they, they wondered, how long will this go on? You know, when you're in the midst of a, of a situation that is challenging, like these people were, it seems like it just goes on and on, doesn't it? When will this come uh, come to an end? How long before the wicked are punished, the righteous are vindicated? Is this going to go on forever? And that is a common question of God's people throughout Scripture. I think of Psalm 13. The psalmist says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Notice four times, how long is this going to go on? When will it come to an end? The same question is asked in Revelation chapter 6. When you have the martyrs, John sees these martyrs that are underneath the altar. And their question is the same. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, Lord? Notice the answer given in verse 11. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. In other words, the persecution of God's people isn't going to go on forever. 
Jesus will come again, and that great event will change everything. Is that an exaggeration? No, it is not. When Jesus comes again, it will change everything. And so he says, wait. Wait patiently, because Jesus is coming again. You waiting for that day? Like my dad used to say, I'm waiting for the upper taker, not the undertaker. (laughs) And who knows? Maybe we will be alive when Jesus comes again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Don't have to pay the funeral director, right? We just get caught up to be with the Lord and we say goodbye to this world and we say hello to glory. (laughs) What a day that will be, huh? So James illustrates this then in verse 7 and 8. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Then he pictures the farmer. He said the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient like the farmer. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. The farmer waits for the harvest to come because he knows that once he's planted the crop, that's really all he can do, right? He can't make the crop grow. That is God's responsibility. So he waits for the early and the late rains. And when the time is right, he will receive the precious produce of the soil. And so the point that James is making is that when the time is right, then Jesus is going to come again. And we don't know when that day will come. Only he knows. But when the time is right, Jesus is going to come again. And that's why James says then, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is near. So these poor believers who were suffering James says, remember, Jesus is coming again. Strengthen your heart. And that'll be the day when when everything changes. All the wrongs will be made right. And you will receive your inheritance. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, describes it as an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And notice how this strengthens the believer. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. When we live in light of Jesus' second coming, that is living in light of eternity. And when you live that way, it changes the way you live, doesn't it? You recognize this world is not our home. We are becoming more and more uncomfortable in this world, aren't we, as believers? We're just passing through. And one day Jesus is going to come again. And what a glorious day that will be. And James says, you be patient. You just wait. Jesus is coming again. He gives us a second instruction on being patient. Be patient with your imperfect spiritual family. Ever noticed 
that your brothers and sisters in the Lord are not yet perfect? Have you noticed that? Come to realize that people within our fellowship aren't perfect? Yeah. And if you haven't realized that yet, uh, one day you will. (laughs) One day you will, I can assure you. And it just might bother you a little bit. Because they might say something to you that maybe you didn't like to hear. They might do something that you didn't like. They might not do something that you expected them to do. So we live, right, as believers in the congregation, we live with imperfect brothers and sisters. And you have an imperfect pastor. I'm sure you have seen that on many, many occasions. What does James say about that? He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Now, you'd think that it would be easier to be patient with other believers compared to those who don't know the Lord, But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's harder to be patient with those who know Jesus than with those who don't. You know why that is? Because we expect more. We expect more, and maybe rightly so. We expect more from those who know Jesus that their lives would be different from the world. And when they don't meet those expectations, sometimes that can be challenging. Get blindsided. I've been blindsided by another believer. It's just like, where on earth did that come from? I didn't see that coming, right? And it's like, hey, we're we're in the same family. We're brothers and sisters. And and, and when those kinds of situations come, it's just like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. James says, don't complain, brethren, against one another. And I think he gives us a couple reasons why. First of all, we share a special bond as fellow believers. In Christ, we are family. And we are called to live like family. That's why Jesus said, don't don't complain against one another. And if you didn't realize this, people are watching how we treat one another. And there are few things that hinder the testimony of a congregation when people don't get along, people who claim to love Jesus. So we need to love one another. Be patient with one another. Remember years ago, there was that little button that was had all those letters that stood for, please be patient with me, God isn't finished with me yet, all of those letters. Anybody remember that? It's only old people that are raising their hand for that one. Young people say, what in the world is that? And so someone would say, what is that on your, what is that on your, your, your pen? You would tell them, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. So God isn't done with us. And so we need to be patient with one another. And James says the reason for that, he says, he says God is standing at the door. Isn't that interesting? He is the one to whom we will give an account of our lives And James says he's coming soon. In fact, he's standing right at the door. What does that mean? He knows what's going on, doesn't he? 
He's observing. He, he sees everything that takes place in our lives, in our fellowship. He's, he's watching. When I think of that, I, I remember coming to a hospital room many years ago, long time ago, decades ago, and um, I was about to visit someone from our church, not this church, but the church I was serving, and there were two nurses in that room arguing. And so I just stood outside the door. I just thought, I'm just going to see, <laughs> my old nature, I'm just going to see how long this goes on. And it went on for a while. They didn't know I was standing there, but when they walked out the door, I said, hello. And their faces just went beat red, just like that. That was good for them, right? Because it was not a good um, testimony to <laughs> the people in that hospital. This is the kind of nurses you're going to get. So I ain't going there. But I was standing at the door. The Lord is standing at the door, right? He observes what's going on. He sees where God, he's not done with us yet. Praise God for that. And so that's why we need to be patient. We live among an imperfect family of God. But one day we will be perfect, right? We'll see Jesus face to face. Won't that be a glorious day? I've often wondered what we'll talk about in heaven. Like, do you remember that time? <laughs> Probably not. But one day we will be perfected. Notice the third thing. Be patient, James says, in difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. One of the things that is difficult about being patient in our circumstances is that our circumstances, at least from our human understanding and perspective, sometimes they're hard to understand. Would you agree? Some of the things you go through and just like, I just don't get this. I, I just don't understand this. So James gives a couple examples. He says, first of all, look at the prophets. Verse 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So why did they suffer? Were they suffering for wrongdoing? Absolutely not. They, they were speaking in the name of the Lord. They were proclaiming the word of God, and yet they were suffering for it. Jeremiah is probably one of the best examples. He was beaten, put in stocks. He was thrown in prison, thrown into a muddy cistern. Do you think there were times when Jeremiah just said, I don't get this. I don't understand what is going on. Do you think there are times when he was, when he was tempted to say, you know what, I'm just going to check out, okay, I'm just going to go on to something else. Well, I think he, he did, because we find in Jeremiah 20, verse 7, he says, I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak... I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. How would you like to live that life? You are being mocked, derided, persecuted all day long because you're faithful to the word of God. But notice how 
that didn't stop him. In Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he said, But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I can't. <laughs> my dad used to call that spiritual heartburn, right? He just had to proclaim it. Jeremiah. And so in spite of what he faced, he continued to proclaim God's word for over 40 years. Can you imagine going through that for over 40 years, day after day after day? Suffering, huh? Persecution. And that's why James says he was an example of suffering and patience. And Jeremiah was not the only one by any means, because Stephen, when he was speaking before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, in verse 52, he asked the question, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And what answer does he expect? There wasn't a single one, they didn't. They had persecuted them all, every single one of them. But when James looks at these prophets who were willing to suffer for the sake of truth, he doesn't call them fools. No, he doesn't. Verse 11, he says, We count those blessed. Blessed who endured. The world would say, what do you mean, blessed? Daily mocked? Put in stocks? Thrown in prison? Thrown in a muddy cistern? You count them blessed? Why would James say that? Because Jesus said that, right? Jesus said that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And what did Jesus say? Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we are willing to proclaim the truth of God's word, we can expect opposition. So don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. And we're going to receive more of it, I think, in the days to come. You see what's going on in the world. Anybody that's going to proclaim the word of God like Jeremiah did. And yet James says, blessed. These men are blessed. Eternally blessed. Because great is their reward in heaven. A second example he gives is that of Job. Verse 11, You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now We know from the book of Job that Job was a godly man, a righteous man. He feared God. He, he turned away from evil. And yet there is no other person in Scripture other than Jesus, I suppose, who, who suffered more than Job. Just just think of what he went through. And one day he lost all of his possessions. All of his ten children died. He lost his health. His wife said, curse God and die. 
And then his friends came, and you know what they said? Oh yeah, Job. I know why you're suffering. You've done all this evil. And so Job suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. And when you read through the book of Job and really try and put yourself in his shoes, you talk about suffering. Amazing. Job didn't understand it all, did he? It just didn't seem to make sense. And, and when God finally spoke to him after all these chapters, he didn't tell Job why he was going through all this. He just said, Job, where, where were you when uh, the world was created? You know, if you know, tell me. You know, All of these questions. And, and Job just had no answer. No answer. If we suffer out of foolishness, That's not hard to understand, is it? Because we know we deserve it, right? And we've all brought upon ourselves some suffering, haven't we, because of foolishness in one way or another. We might not like it, but we know there's a reason for it. But when we are suffering and we can't see the reason why, it's just like, I don't understand this. I don't know why I'm going through this. That's the challenge in suffering, isn't it? We just don't know why. And so what, what do we do when we're in those situations? I think James gives us at least one of the keys in our text. We need to believe that God has a purpose in the difficulties that he allows in our lives. And here may be what it is, that God's purpose is to mold us through these circumstances, that we might experience His greater blessing. Look at verse 11. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome. You've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So we've got to go to the book of Job. What was the outcome? Go to the last chapter of the book and you find the answer. There certainly was a restoration of what Job had lost. That God gave him back all that he had before and, and more. Gave him ten children again, seven sons and, and three daughters. But greater than that is the spiritual blessings that God gave to him. And Job recounts them in Job 42, verses 1 to 6. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I didn't know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, Job says, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. Through his trouble... Job learned that God is powerful, that God can do anything, and that no one can stop him. No purpose of God can be thwarted. And he saw that in what Satan wanted to do to him. 
God's purpose could not be thwarted because of the evil one. And, and, and Job came to, to understand that, that his purpose will stand. And that is a truth that we need to hold on to, that God's purpose will stand and no one can thwart his plan for you and for me, not even Satan himself. And then the second thing that Job learned is that God is wise. Even if we don't understand, God knows what he is doing. There was a time when Job thought he understood what God should do. In those conversations with his friends and so forth, uh, there were times when Job thought he, you know, God should do this or that, but, but in the end he says that he confessed there were things he didn't understand. They were beyond his own wisdom. And Job came to the place where he realized that he needed to trust in the God whose power and wisdom were far beyond his own. And that's the bottom line. That's the place we need to come to, where we trust in a God whose power and wisdom is beyond our own. We may not understand anything, everything. But we have a God who does, a God of great wisdom, a God of great power. We need to come to the place where we rest in Him. I was reminded this week of a song that was written by Eddie Carswell and Babby Mason. I'm going to read part of it, and then Mandy's going to sing it for us. All things work for our good, though sometimes we don't see how they could. Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see Him, remember you're never alone. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, When you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, what do you do? You trust his heart. You can't see his plan. There's sometimes we just don't see his plan. We trust him in in spite of that. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Father, help us. Help us to come to that place in times of of suffering in times when we are impatient and want to know why and want to see the answers that we prayed for. Help us, Lord, to trust your heart and to know that you are a powerful, you are a kind, you are a wise, you are a gracious Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.